What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. On this week's Science Revolution, Ethan Manuel with Sierra Club's Land Protection Program is here on Trump greenlighting drilling in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. Will the oil companies show up? Adrian Shelley with Public Citizen is dropping by on the methane rule rollback and the Trump administration's continued assault on our climate. Lori Lotus with Climate Power 2020 is excited about Biden and Harris painting a bold climate action plan with clean energy jobs. Plus, in geeky science, there's a new study out. Do plant-based meats improve your heart? Stay tuned. Ethan Manuel is on the line with us. Ethan is the director of the Sierra Club's Lands Protection Program. SierraClub.org is the website. Ethan's uh, Twitter handle is Ethan, A-T-H-A-N-D-C, or, of course, at Sierra Club. Ethan, welcome to the program. Trump came out and said he wants to allow big oil companies, major Republican donors, to drill in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. I thought we had fought this battle a few times before and won. What's going on? been a long-running battle really since the late 80s to decide the fate of the coastal plain of the Arctic Refuge. You know, we see it as a biological heart of the Arctic Refuge, someplace that should be protected and preserved forever. And we also see it as a sacred area for the Gwich'in people, indigenous peoples who live near the Arctic Refuge. And of course, the other side of the aisle has consistently seen it as a place to drill for oil and to ruin it and to industrialize this really special place. And so that fight's been going on and on for almost 30 years, and unfortunately in 2017, Congress passed a law, snuck a provision into a larger law that allows drilling in the coastal plain of the Arctic, and that's what we're dealing with right now, the Trump administration trying to ram that plan forward. What specifically will be the consequence of this if you know we're going to allow drilling and it's going to industrialize it? But how large an area is this? How much of it will be destroyed? How fragile is the ecosystem? What does this mean in the larger context? Mm-hmm. To start with the ecosystem, it really is one of the last wild places left in the United States. You know, it's one of the few places that has never been developed. There's no roads, no trails, no proof of any human existence there at all. So it's a truly wild place that supports a varied array of wildlife. You know, polar bears, caribou, 200 uh, species of birds migrate there every year. So it's an incredibly rich ecosystem that we just think is also very, very fragile. You know, the tundra and that ecosystem is very, very fragile. So any kind of industrialization would damage it pretty much forever. And so that's really what's at stake here. It's a 1.5 million acre coastal plain. It's very narrow between the Brooks Mountain Range and the Arctic Ocean. And the oil companies want to expand from Prudhoe Bay eastward into this coastal plain. And it's such a narrow strip of land relative to the operations that they want to put in there. Pretty much all of it would be destroyed because, you know, oil is an inexact science. They would poke holes throughout the coastal plain of the refuge and accompany those wells with roads and pipelines and other support facilities. So you would take a place that's incredibly wild and pristine and unique and turn it into a big industrial facility full of oil and pollution and other industrial activities. 
We're hearing stories of global warming changing Arctic environments all around the world, from Siberia to northern Alaska, northern Canada. And they're typically couched in the context of, you know, another city is melting into the ground or falling into the ground. Buildings are tipping over because the permafrost is melting. Roads are becoming unpassable. Does this global warming that is opening up or melting this region, does this make it easier or more difficult for the oil companies to drill in that region? Well, ironically enough, it makes it kind of more difficult because the companies that operate along Alaska's north slope really count on the tundra to stay frozen for a certain amount of time so they can build their facilities and their pads and bring in all this heavy equipment. Every year, though, the tundra thaws more and more. So the drilling season for when they can put in new equipment is actually shrinking because of climate change. So, uh, no, Alaska and Alaska's North Slope is almost a poster child for climate change. You're seeing species change their migratory habits, vegetation change where it grows, tons of erosion into the uh, Arctic Ocean every year. They're having to move Alaskan native villages further inland or relocate people who live on islands in the Arctic Ocean to onshore villages. And so the problems being caused by climate change are exacerbated in the poles. And obviously that's where the Arctic Refuge is close by the North Pole. And so it is kind of ironic that the problem created by the oil industry is actually harming their ability to get more oil. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. So Congress, you said, authorized this in 2017. Trump has now said, let's do it. Is there any mechanism to stop him? And if so, what is it and how is it being played out? Or do we have to just hope to have a new administration in the next six months? Well, a new administration is part of the solution to this, frankly. But we've got quite a few levers we're starting to pull already. You know, number one, is we talked about the changes happening from climate change in the North Slope. One of the consequences is that the polar bear that lives there is being threatened, and that's listed as a threatened species by the Endangered Species Act. So that gives us quite a bit of a ability to sue to protect that habitat. So the first thing we're going to do is sue under the Endangered Species Act and charge that the administration is being haphazard with managing habitat for the polar bear. Because again, if you go in and do seismic testing to see where the oil is, if you put oil rigs there, we think you're probably gonna damage a po- some polar bear dens and have consequences on polar bear habitat and the, li- and, and the ability of the polar bear to survive in the Arctic Refuge. So we'll sue under the Endangered Species Act. We probably are gonna do a review under the National Environmental Policy Act to see if they're rushing this through. And then also if there's a new administration, President Biden can step in and put a temporary halt on it, potentially name the coastal plain a national monument, which would set up another court fight that we think we would win. And then ultimately, we need Congress to change the definition of the refuge away from an oil field, which is the way it's currently defined, back to a national wildlife refuge. So we have a lot of things we're going to try and do. We're pretty confident on the court case, but uh, it's really important that we win this election in November for a myriad of reasons, one of those being to protect the Arctic refuge. Amen. Ethan Manuel, the director of the Sierra Club's Lands Protection Program, sierraclub.org, of course. Ethan, thanks so much for dropping by today. My pleasure, Tom. Thanks a lot. Have a great show. Have a great weekend. Thank you. You too. It's great talking with you. On the line with us is Adrian Shelley. Adrian is the director of the Public Citizen Texas office, citizen.org. Adrian's Twitter handle is Adrian Shelley, S-H-E-L-L-E-Y. Adrian, welcome to the program. Tell me about the Trump administration's rollback of the methane rules. First of all, what were they, what are they now, and why does this matter? This is just the latest effort by the Trump administration to undo 
public health and safety rules that were put in place during the Obama administration. This rule is about methane emissions from the oil and gas industry. Methane accounts for about 10% of our greenhouse gas emissions in the United States, so it is a major driver of climate change. And as oil and gas drilling has exploded uh, across the United States, and especially in places like Pennsylvania and Texas, methane emissions have increased dramatically. Uh, so we're talking about climate change, but we're also talking about health and environmental impacts for people who live in places like uh, West Texas, where there's a lot of oil and gas drilling going on. So if methane accounts for 10% of our is this Texas-wide or, or nationwide, 10% of our greenhouse gas emissions? This is nationwide. Um, most of us think of carbon dioxide as the main greenhouse gas pollutant driver of climate change. But methane right. is actually 84 times as potent as CO2. So we have less... Well, that's where I was going. Emissions. If it's 80 times more potent and it's 10% of our emissions, then it's, it's uh, you know, 800... I can, you know, I'm doing math in my head is not my strong point, but that means it's a far more consequential greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide. Uh, so uh, it's about 10% of the effects in the United States, but in certain places, oh, I see. it's a huge okay. driver. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. you know, in, in uh, Texas, for example, in the Permian Basin, we just had an explosion of drilling out there in the last couple of years. We are wasting 1.4 million metric tons of methane every year in Texas. That would produce enough energy to power every house in Dallas and Houston combined. And we're just wasting it right now. By just letting it gas out into the environment? Yeah, we let it leak into the environment. We burn it off because it's inconvenient to sell it into the market. Uh, you know, it's just the latest symptom of what the oil and gas industry is up to these days, which frankly so, is kind of an uh, kind of an eleventh hour grab. You know, this is an industry whose days yeah. are numbered and is being increasingly reckless in its operations. So, what was the law, and what is the law, or will be the law if Trump's rollback of these regulations stand? Sure. So, uh, these were some pretty practical controls. There's a rule in place since 2016. Uh, it included programs for leak detection, uh, you know, finding errant emissions of methane uh, and, and, and ending them. Uh, it included uh, transmission and storage. So not just the wellhead, but the pipelines, the compressor stations, things like that. Uh, you know, those were included in the rule and they have been accepted now. Um, so it's basically undoing rules that were already in place. And in fact, rules that industry supported, um, the Obama era rules were supported by Shell, ExxonMobil, uh, BP, uh, you know, companies that understand that methane is a major problem and that people are demanding solutions. Who lobbied him to make that happen? You know, we're not really sure. Um, we, we think, frankly, that it's just part of the Trump vendetta against the Obama administration. Uh, there have been plenty of rules that have been undone, even though industry isn't asking for them. You know, this rule, uh, when it was originally proposed, was supposed to save industry $19 million a year, which 
Sounds like a lot to you and me, but for companies like, you know, ExxonMobil and Shell, a couple million dollars a year is nothing. It's like 16 minutes of revenue or something. Sure, it's a rounding error. So it's not a rule that industry was even asking for. You know, we went to Dallas and we spoke in opposition uh, of this rule repeal, and there were representatives from industry right there next to us saying that, uh, you know, they were okay with this rule, they were already operating under it. It was uh, helping them to save product. There wasn't any need to roll it back, but here we are. We're talking with Adrian Shelley, the director of the Public Citizen Office in Texas. Citizen.org is the website. Adrian Shelley is the Twitter handle and Public Citizen TX as well. Final question, I guess, is what can we do about this and what are you guys doing about this specifically down in Texas? Well, you know, we spoke out against the federal rule repeal, and we asked our members to do the same. We had folks across the United States uh, tell the EPA that they didn't want this rule repeal. You know, it is happening. Um, uh, Some of our efforts kind of falling on on deaf ears. Um, We're also turning to state regulators. Here in Texas, it's the Railroad Commission that regulates oil and gas, and they are seriously considering controls to limit methane pollution. Um, You know, it it just makes sense. We want energy independence in the United States, and that means using the resources that we have rather than wasting them. So we're appealing to our state regulators as well as our federal regulators, and we're asking people to do the same thing. Adrian Shelley, Citizen.org, Public Citizen in Texas. Adrian, thanks for dropping by. It's great talking with you. Boy, what a day. On the line with us is the Obama administration alum, executive director of Climate Power 2020, Lori Lotus. ClimatePower2020.org is the website, and uh, Lori's Twitter handle is Lori L. Lori, welcome to the program. Kamala Harris and Mike Pence both have fairly easily measured, defined, nailed down, identified, pointed to climate policies. Tell us about Mike Pence's climate policy first and then contrast that with Kamala Harris's. Well, it's pretty simple. One believes in science and one does not. It's their worldview and sort of how they've approached climate. So with Mike Pence, the current vice president, You know, when he was back in governor of Indiana, his sort of lack of understanding or appreciation or caring about science helped exacerbate an HIV pandemic at at that time um, across Indiana. Um, And he turned his back on black communities. East Chicago was dealing with a lead water problem and nothing. Um, He wouldn't get involved. And obviously, he doesn't think it's real. Um, He believes it's a hoax just as as much as his boss does. And so what that means is that that he's not going to do anything. There is not going to be any sort of urgency to act or appreciation that we have such a narrow window to get things done because he just doesn't care. He doesn't believe in the science. He's not going to listen to the experts. And that sort of led us to where we are today with coronavirus, too. Um, And so I think, you know, uh, if you're wanting to look at what climate crisis would look like under Mike Pence, we are looking at it right now with what's going on with coronavirus. And, of course, everything uh, that Senator Harris believes is really stands in stark contrast for that. And she's really been a champion um, for the environment and specifically around environmental justice. 
I didn't know that she had been working with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on these issues. Tell us about that. Right before she was nominated, I really think it was like 10 days beforehand, she sponsored with Representative Ocasio-Cortez on the Climate Equity Act. And what this does is it really makes sure that you are taking into account the impacts on people when you are doing any sort of project in in a community. Um, And so it really is just an important sort of benchmark that we need to be reaching toward. But she's also, not only is she introduced legislation, this goes way back for her. When she was Attorney General of California, she took on the oil company. She held them accountable and sued them for environmental pollution. And that includes people like Chevron and BP, like the big guys. She took them on directly. And I think that's what's exciting about Biden picking somebody like her is she has this track record. Um, And so now it's how do we get them to take the bold sort of action we need, hopefully in 2021. Tell me about Attorneys General for Clean Power. What is this group and what role did Kamala Harris, A.G. Harris back then, now Senator Harris, play in that? So she was one of the folks that was really pushing it, right? And this was the case against um, Exxon to really, once again, to hold these corporations accountable. And she was there along with, I'm sorry, were you talking about the Clean Power Plan? It was to, on the car, yeah, on the uh, car uh, side uh, of the equation. Uh, AG's sorry. United for Clean Power, yeah. Right, right. So she was very involved. And I think that is the sort of record she has, whether it is pushing back on car standards being overturned or holding the car companies accountable from the get-go to reach the standards that they needed to, as well as the fossil fuel industry. She is really, she has this in-depth track record. It's exciting, I think, for people like myself who are really pushing for bold climate action to know that she has been there before. And she has really pushed for this sort of accountability that we're going to have to have if we're going to get ourselves into a much better place. We're talking with Lori Lotus, the executive director of climatepower2020.org. What would your priorities be for a Biden-Harris administration right out of the gate with regard to climate legislation? Well, honestly, I am just so focused on getting through November 4th. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. I think last night was a very good indicator of the sort of momentum we're having on climate. Um, In the past three nights, there's been over 53 mentions, or probably more, there is more than that, about with different speakers talking about climate. And that's not about one policy solution, but on the idea that we need transformative, mobilizing, bold action to be able to address this issue in the time we need and to have the sort of outcomes that we want. We can debate and talk about the policy in 2021. Right now, it's all about trying to make sure that climate is part of the conversation so that we have momentum to have that conversation. Brilliant. Lori Lotus, the executive director, climatepower2020.org. Lori, thanks so much for dropping by today. Been great talking. Thanks, Tom. Sponsoring the interview this week is. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. 
Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. In this week's Geeky Science... This is an amazing story. The body has a molecule, it's called TMAO, trimethylamine N-oxide. And TMAO is a marker that things are going on inside your body that can lead to heart disease, if not being the thing itself. I'm, I'm not, I don't understand all the details of exactly how TMAO works in this regard, but there was a fascinating article published, a study, published in the August 11th issue of the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. They were looking at TMAO levels as well as blood cholesterol, blood pressure, and weight. And they were trying to figure out what dietary factor will have a big influence on these things. Because, you know, higher TMAO levels, greater risk of a heart attack. And then, of course, blood cholesterol, blood pressure, and weight. We all know all the things that those are associated with. And so this was a 16-week study. They had people eat two meals a day, either red meat or vegetarian meat, you know, uh, beyond meat or impossible burgers, basically, you know, these plant-based meat products. And each group did it. Half the group for eight weeks would eat vegetarian burgers and the other half would eat the meat burgers and then vice versa for the second eight weeks. And they compared them. Two servings of meat or plant-based alternatives every single day for 16 weeks. And what they found and I'm quoting from this, people with elevated TMAO have a 60% higher risk for adverse cardiovascular events such as heart attacks. This from the study, uh, researchers observed that participants who ate the red meat diet during the first eight-week phase had an increase in TMAO, while those who ate the plant-based diet did not. They go on to say, health benefits conveyed from plant-based alternatives extended to weight and levels of LDL cholesterol, the bad cholesterol. 
participants level of LDL cholesterol, these are the people who were eating the, the vegan meat, the vegetarian meat, participants levels of LDL cholesterol dropped on average 10 milligrams per deciliter. That's, you know, the, the, the score that they give you. Oh, your, your, your cholesterol is, you know, 122. Well, it dropped by 10 points, basically, which is not only statistically significant, but clinically significant, too, right? A, a measurable reduction in heart disease from cholesterol. In addition, participants lost two pounds on average during the plant-based portion of the diet. And they're still eating everything they want, as much as they want. They just basically went vegan. It's amazing our geeky science for the day. That's all for this week's Science Revolution. You can find the video portions of the Science Revolution on YouTube and check out our Facebook page.